Matthew chapter 24, Matthew 24. Let's read from verse 36 to 44. Matthew 24, 36 to 44. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also uh, must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Well, there are lots of uh, things, aren't there, in the Bible that we uh, have only a tantalizingly small amount of information about. I think... If we're honest, if we were writing the Bible ourselves, we would expand upon certain things and we would reduce other things. Lots of people have. Uh, we don't have that. Uh, uh, we don't have that right. But uh, uh, there was a man called Marcion in the early church, and he was he did that. He went and he took all the things in the Bible that he thought unworthy of a compassionate God, and he chopped them all out, and, he, and Marcion had his own kind of Bible. And uh, people today do the same thing in effect by, by, uh, by playing up certain things and just ignoring other bits. So really, practically speaking, they have a very small Bible uh, because they will only believe what modern man can believe. And so we have... Uh, that tendency. We would like to know more about certain things, uh, maybe about creation. Uh, uh, and uh, yet we have chapter upon chapter in Leviticus, those rule, rules and uh, ceremonial laws which we find so difficult to read. And we say, well, why couldn't God have, you know, beefed up the first few chapters and just kind of downplayed all those other chapters? And uh, yet God has his purposes. God, God's Desire is not to satisfy our uh, 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 our curiosity about our pet uh, things, but it's to em emphasize His holiness, and that's what Leviticus was getting at. Same might be true of the end of the world. We would like to know more about uh, the, the, the times and seasons concerning things, and yet uh, we all know uh, ourselves that we give and withhold information uh, to the people around us or to our children or to uh, governments do that, we give and withhold information based on how we think they will use that information. Will they use it for good or bad? They may not intentionally use it for bad, but they could use it for bad. 
They could become complacent. If a person knew that Jesus was coming maybe uh, 10 years from now, they might say, well, I might live what the kind of life I want to live. And then maybe in the ninth year, start cleaning things up a bit and get right with God. And, and But God doesn't do that. He gives us, he, he draws a veil over uh, the time so that we are in a constant state of preparation, that we are to live as if Jesus' coming were imminent. And uh, you can think of the early church, for example. If they thought that Jesus' coming was 2,000, 4,000 years hence, uh, perhaps they would have been very discouraged and, and so on. But So God draws a veil over these things. No matter how uh, tantalizing it is, We'd want to know more. God, uh, again, just draws a veil over it so that we'll trust. He does that with the circumstances of our lives, doesn't He? He doesn't tell us why this happened or that happened or how long we have to be in this situation or whatever it might be. And that that is to cause us to trust. Again, if He put a time limit on it and said it was only going to last this long, and no, we, we might not trust God or lean on God as we ought to, but He's constantly drawing things out of us. And uh, so what we're learning to trust. He doesn't give us the dates. Now, there's, as we saw, there's certain things in this chapter that He does give signs for. He does give them the signs for the destruction of Jerusalem in the first part. Uh, when you see the abomination of desolation, He says, flee to the mountains. For you know that the, the, the time is short. And so it happened that Christians were able to get away. But the time of his second coming, uh, globally and universally, Jesus has not told us uh, the date of that. No one knows. Uh, despite, as I was saying over the last few weeks, the desire of many to uh, pinpoint a day. And many have done so. Um, and they've had egg in their face afterwards when it didn't come true. And they, yet it doesn't stop. Aren't, isn't man presumptuous? You know, decade after decade, people coming out, oh, I've got a new book. Oh, they failed. Oh, yes. But we've really refined it down. We've got our numbers, we've crunched the numbers, and we feel. And then that falls apart. And their uh, uh, books go into the bargain bin at uh, Walmart or uh, uh, some... Bibles for missions or something like that, and people still buy them. Oh, this is interesting. And, uh, you know, they have a, we, we need a little bit more discernment when we buy books off the shelves. And uh, so we, we, we see that man has not really learned his lesson. Uh, and sadly for many, there is money to be made. They know that their, their predictions will probably fail, but they know in the uh, book-selling market, even in Christian markets, there's lots of money to be made. And sadly, that's where uh, a, a lot of people come down on. But Jesus says the day it, it, and the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son. That's an interesting uh, uh, um, idea there. Uh, we know that Jesus, the Bible tells us, is true God and true man. It, that He is the incarnate Son of God in the flesh while He walked on the earth. And yet there's this mysterious interplay between the 
the uh, omniscience of Jesus as the Son of God and his, his li- the limited nature that he bore as a human being upon this earth. And that just as Jesus got tired and hungry and thirsty because he was human and because he committed himself to becoming one of us in every way except sin, he also accepted limitations in his earthly life upon his knowledge. And that, for example, in Luke's Gospel, at the end of chapter 2, it says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature. He increased in wisdom. And that there were things as a human being that Jesus would have to ask about. How many oranges are in that box? How far to the next town? It wasn't that Jesus was going around operating on a completely omniscient understanding of all that was going on around him. But the information that the Father did give him, the the knowledge that he did have from the Scriptures was a perfect knowledge. He had a perfect understanding of these things. Uh, But this time of his second coming, even to him, there was a veil drawn over it. That's not to say that Jesus doesn't know that information now, that he doesn't know now when he is coming back. But in in, uh, the days uh, uh, as he journeyed here on earth, he did not know that information. Uh, Along with other things that the Bible shows us that he did not know about. Again, let me emphasize, that does not take away from his view of God, his his nature as God, just as his being hungry or thirsty did not diminish the fact that he was God. But as man, he allowed himself those limitations, both physically and in terms of his knowledge, to, uh, uh, to be one of us. And that's an encouraging thing because Jesus would go to the Scriptures and learn like you and I. As a boy, as a child, Jesus grew. He would, he would be taken to the synagogue and learn the Bible. And as a sinless person, He was able to process in, that inter, information perfectly. And so, the, the day is unknown. And that is for a reason. And we can thank God. We can thank God that God has drawn a veil over things in our lives. There's lots of things we don't want to know about. (laughs) And if we were given knowledge about things, we being sinful would abuse that knowledge. We think we would do good, like in the Lord of the Rings. (laughs) You know, uh, uh, Gandalf says, I don't want to touch that ring. I don't want to take that ring. I would want to use it for good, but I know evil, I would do, I'd do it for evil. And the same is true. And God keeps the day of His, the coming of His Son uh, a mystery to us for our good. So the day is unknown, but the day is not unfamiliar. What do I mean by that? Even though we don't know when the day is, we know what kind of day it will be. Verse 37, As were the days of Noah, 
so will the coming of the Son of Man be. What were the days of Noah like then? Ordinary. Like our own. Like the one you just woke up to this morning. Like the one you woke up to yesterday and the day before. Where people worked, people married, people went about ordinary eating and drinking, common everyday things, completely unsuspecting that the end was near. And so this is a further warning to us, lest we become presumptuous, lest we begin to say, look, the way I read it is that we live on PEI, the gentle island. Nothing ever bad happens on the gentle island. We've grown up here, our ancestors, and it will be the same for generations to come. And we, became, we become complacent. We, we start to assume that this is the way it's going to be. And that's the way it was for the people of Noah's day. Now, Jesus is not saying that these things were wrong, that they were doing. They were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. These are things that are commended by God. Whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. He encourages people to be married and, and so on. But it's when those good gifts of God become the central focus of our lives, that's where we become worldly. That's where we become idolatrous. And when we become, when we start putting our focus on these things and forget about God, we then turn on the people around us to take from them what they have. And when you lose the sense of God in a society, as we are quickly doing today, it's not long before that society turns on itself. Think of the 20th century communism where up to 100 million people died at the hands of communists in Russia and China, Cambodia and all these places. Think of Nazi Germany and the Holocaust, the six million Jews within a very short period of time. When man forgets God, and this is what was happening in Noah's day, all the good things that God had given had been taken by man, and man had forgotten God. They, 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 they hated God. And though they had the ordinary things of life, they, they uh, made them ultimate things. And so they became presumptuous. We can uh, we we ask ourselves the same question in our own day. Billy Graham was famously uh, quoted as saying, "If God does not judge the United States, He will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah." As we see uh, things being thrown back in the face of God, God's good gift, we see. Tens of millions of babies being aborted in the womb year after year after year around the world. And we, we ask that question, how long, O oh God? And so the same concerns that were there in Noah's day are still here today. Jesus is saying that the day is unknown. 
and that it will be a very ordinary day, perhaps, when Jesus returns. People will get up, and they will maybe have a wedding. Maybe they will be going to work. Maybe they'll be eating and drinking, having people over for supper, or doing whatever, the normal, ordinary, run-of-the-mill things. And it will be that quick. In fact, Jesus goes on uh, to talk about, in verse 40, then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. And so you have this separation. Now again, commentators are divided as to who is being taken and who is being left. Is it the wicked being left and the, and the righteous being taken, or are the righteous being left and the wicked being taken off to judgment? Again, uh, commentators are divided, depending on how you understand Jesus coming back. Is it coming back uh, upon the earth to, to establish the eternal kingdom here on earth, or simply coming to take people away? That's another uh, uh, sermon for another day. But the point is, is not who's going where, it's a separation between ordinary people, husbands and wives, sons and daughters, employers and employees who will suddenly be gone. And we're not talking about a secret rapture as some people have surmised here. You're driving along in a plane and, and uh, all of a sudden your co-pilot is gone. Or, or you're driving along in a car and suddenly the person beside you is gone and, and there's been the secret rapture of believers out of the earth leaving only those who are left behind, as according to the, the movie series that was done a number of years ago. That's not really the case. Again, it's good, makes for good movies. I, I don't even know if it was a good movie or not. But, uh, but it, it makes for, uh, uh, for selling movies, at least. <laughs> but the idea is that this, the judgment will come so quickly that people will be going about their ordinary lives and then that will be it. There will be no chance for a change of mind. That people, perhaps living in the same home or worshipping in the same church or working in the same workplace, there will be a division, there will be a, a separation between the just and the unjust, between believers and unbelievers, just as it was in the days of Noah unsuspecting, a mixture of people, and yet a, a division that comes. And Noah was a preacher of righteousness, the Bible tells us. Hebrews 11, it tells us he was a man of faith. By faith, Noah built an ark for the saving of his family. That in this ordinary day in, day out, there was something glorious going on in front of them that they mocked. Does that sound familiar? Here we are in this day and age in which we live. People getting up, going to work, coming home, watching the news, going to bed, going to the hockey game, doing all sorts of things with your family. Yet in the midst of all of that ordinariness, there is the gospel. There is the ark of the gospel which is before us, which God has given to us. And the ark symbolized that. Noah didn't take it upon himself to 
devised the measurements. God said 50 cubits here, 30 cubits there. Make it such and such. Just as with the gospel. We don't have the right to make up a gospel of our own. Though many people, again, have tried and are doing so. And that's what we celebrate on uh, uh, Reformation Day. A rediscovery of the gospel. Luther saying, here I stand. This is the gospel and I will not yield my ground. But the, the ark is there. The gospel is there. And when we move into that ark of Jesus Christ, we are safe. We are in Him. And it's only when you come in Him do you begin to see what you've been saved from. You begin to look at people outside. You see people living for the things that you lived for one time. Money or career or even other people. And you see things through a new lens. But we have that ark today, friends. That is the wonderful thing. That the ark is here today. In the words of the Gospel. And you are commanded, called, pleaded with as Noah was a preacher of righteousness for 150 years to the people as he worked. He said, you down there, do you know? Do you understand? Ah, quiet, you crazy old man. Who, who do you think you... God's not going to destroy this earth. What are you doing building a boat in the middle of nowhere? they laugh. They would mock. they do all these things. But in the same way, in the same way, friends, God calls each one of us, calling us to come into the ark and to find safety. And there are many here, hopefully all of you, are able to testify to the feeling of safety and security. And that's why your parents, your grandparents, the people around you are pray for you and plead with you and agonize over your soul because they are in the ark. And they see that the, the rain is coming. And they see maybe you with a mocking spirit. And you're looking in condescendingly upon these things. Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, He who is the truth. Days before He goes to the cross, this is what is on His heart. For lost souls, as in the days of so it shall be complete ordinariness on the cusp of complete and utter annihilation. No turning back. No second chances. How will it be when you see that separation perhaps? Your mother and father going in and you shut out your brother and sister going in and you shut out. Your, 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 your children going in and you shut out. There will be this division right to the very family. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Two men will be in the field. One taken and one left. And so we, we have this idea, uh, uh, this 
outline that Jesus gives us that the day will be unknown to us. We don't know when it's coming, but we know that the kind of day it will be, it will be a, an ordinary day. A day where people are tempted to be presumptuous and careless about their souls. It'll be a day like the one we enjoy today. But while the day is unknown, the day is known. And you say, how can you say both? It's known and unknown. <laughs> it's unknown in the sense that we don't know when it's coming, but we know that it is coming. That's the idea. God, says Paul on Mars Hill, has appointed a day in which He will judge the world through the man whom He has appointed. He has appointed a day. And because of that, what is our posture before God? Therefore, verse 42, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Stay awake. Be spiritually alive. Spiritually engaged. That's what it means. Just as you were, you showed your wokenness by engaging with the day today, by washing your face, eating your breakfast, coming to church, doing, you're, you're doing things, you're engaging with the day, you're doing things that woke, woken people do. So, in spiritual things, we are to be awake at all times, engaging with God. Engaging with Him. He is to be our focus. We're not to let spiritual deadness creep over our soul. We're not to let the cares and worries of this life get a hold of us to the point where we forget God. Jesus said, watch lest your hearts be weighed down with the cares of this life and that the day come upon you suddenly like a trap. We are to repent. We are to believe. Jesus says, unless you repent, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless you repent, you cannot be saved. But we can't repent without Jesus. You can't repent. You, must, you don't repent and then come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and then repent. That's why Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. What are you heavy laden with? Sin and cares and worries. You say, I can't shake it. I can't get it off my back. I can't save myself. I can't repent. That's why Jesus says, come to me. I will give you the grace. My blood will cleanse you. My, I will do all of these things on, for you. And it's out of that that we live a life of repentance. This is what we're, we're called upon. Besides all this, says Paul, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Let us then cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. We are to pray. Jesus says pray lest you enter into temptation. Lest you be overcome with the cares of this world. And listen, isn't it true for every one of us here? Aren't we tempted through what, whether it be success or the promise of success, 
or sorrow or the fear of sorrow that we're drawn away. Jesus says, watch out in those times. Those are the times when the devil can work on your soul in such a powerful way. Therefore, listen, Jesus is intense, isn't he? He's so intense because he knows the devil. He's confronted him at various points in his ministry. He had to say to Peter, say to the devil through Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you desire the things that are of man and not of God. He, 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 he fended off the devil in the wilderness. Jesus knew the power and the subtlety of the power of darkness. He said to Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And so Jesus is, in, Jesus is intent, he's uh, uh, serious about setting before us the dangers of success or worry on both sides. So we are to pray. We're to keep short accounts with God. We're to live as those who are just about to go out the door on a trip, ready. You've got your backpack ready. You've got your bag ready. I know of people, when they're going to the hospital, they have a, a hospital bag ready. That's a good idea. A hospital bag. It's there by the door. So you've got it ready. You've got your night attire. You've got a toothbrush. You don't, that's your special toothbrush. You don't use that through the day. You just have, the, have all your everything there in the bag. So if something happens, there it is. Grab it. We're gone. A Christian is to have that same attitude. So whether it be at the second coming or if we should perish before that, we're ready. We're awake. We're alive. We're looking. We're lifting up our heads, waiting to see our redemption drawing near. We're looking for God. I love this story. I've told it before. Tony Fernandez, a shortstop for the Toronto Blue Jays back in the 80s, and they had just had a Bible study inside the, uh, the, 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 the locker room. A lot of Christians on the team at that time. And Fernandez let a, a, a fly ball go by his head. He wasn't watching because his... Eyes were up in the sky. He was so enthralled with what they had just talked about in the second coming of Christ. He was, he was looking heavenward and this ball went flying by him. But we are to be ready in that way. Are you ready? What, look at your life seriously this morning and say, is there something in my life that's rivaling my walk with the Lord? Is there someone or something or some my job? Whatever it is. I don't care what the job is. How successful you are in the job. It doesn't matter. Whether you're the prime minister, whether you're the president and CEO of a huge corporation, whatever it may be, is it rivaling your walk with the Lord? Are you in danger of being drawn away? Or are you meeting every gospel sermon with a mocking spirit walking out the door saying maybe next week, maybe next time, not today? Jesus says that is a person who is asleep and not awake, not ready for when the Master comes and He could come at any time. And so, friends, we have these words of Jesus. Be ready. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know 
uh, what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus is using common everyday sense. If you knew your house was going to be broken into in the middle of the night, you would stay awake. You would make every provision. You would maybe have friends over. You would, you would be ready. You would have special cameras set up. You would go to the nth degree because you, you don't know what that burglar is going to do. Not only take your things, but maybe hurt your family in some way. So you make great pro- preparations. And the wonderful thing is that Jesus is has told us He's coming back. He sealed it with His blood. He sealed it with His life. He could not have given us a greater stamp of assurance. No greater guarantee has been given the world in any way that Jesus is coming back than His own life and death and words. There's nothing more that God could do to say to you, be ready. He's given us historical precedent through the flood, through the judging of His own people, through the destruction of Jerusalem. All of these things and the people that pass from this life each and every day. So it may be a time for you to look very seriously and prayerfully at your life and say, where am I? Where am I with Jesus? Where am I with these words? And am I ready? Is there anything else in my life that's rivaling that? No matter how precious it is, is it drawing me away? That's why Jesus says in another place, if your right hand causes you to offend, cut it off and pluck out your eye if it causes you to offend. In other words, He's saying the most precious thing if it be in your life. And so we can bless God. We can praise God for giving us such a confident place to stand this morning. To say, as we go from the the church this morning, I am ready. Today, I am ready. Because I'm now putting my trust in the One who bled and died for me. Let this world do its worst. It's only going to last a short time anyway. I'm done putting all my time and energy and all my my life, pouring my life into this thing that is marked out for destruction. I'm lifting up my eyes to eternal things, everlasting things, things that cannot be taken away from me. My boss can't take it away. My friends can't take it away. The world can't take it away. Jesus has given me Himself, God has given me an everlasting inheritance which will endure forever. Why have I waited all this time to be ready, but now, thanks be to God, I'm ready. Let's pray.